Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Um, really quick, just let everybody know, Miss Rachel um, is not here today. She was planning on doing kids' church. She's not here today. She's not feeling so great, and um, we we're praying for her to get well soon. Um, so we'll be praying for her, but it also means we'll also be, um, the kids will be in the service with us today, and that's, that's great because we do that frequently, so um, no worries there. Um, but what I will say is there's a sermon outline in the back. I think I see a few more back there, so if anybody wants one, um, they can certainly grab it, or if any of the kids want one, this is a great way to follow along. Um, and if I was crafty, I would have brought some like markers and stuff to make cards for Rachel, but I didn't. Um, but you can, if anybody wants to write a note to Miss Rachel or draw a picture during the sermon, um, you can draw a picture. Draw a picture of what you learn during the sermon and say get well to Miss Rachel um, if you like. So we are in, as we have been now for some time, 1 Corinthians. Um, we're going to be in chapter 14 today. If you've got your Bibles, um, please pull them out. Um, or if you need one or would like one, there's some on the back table. You can go grab one of those. Um, or you can use an app on your phone if you, if you prefer that. So um, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And if you remember, this is part of th- three chapters that Paul is doing on worship. Three chapters that Paul is is talking about and encouraging the Corinthians in their style of worship. Not their style of worship necessarily, but, but how they're worshiping. And so you remember we began this, these three chapters with the Lord's Supper. And at the Lord's Supper, the Corinthians were coming to the meal, and those who were wealthy, those who had the resources, those who could bring their fancy food, would come, and they would come to this meal that the Lord's Supper was a part of, And they would eat all their food, and they would drink all their wine, um, and they would not share it with anybody. And there were certainly plenty of needy people in that congregation. And and Paul said, how is this the Lord's Supper? How are you coming together when you're eating apart and doing your own thing? And so Paul instructed them in the Lord's Supper. And now he's got um, three chapters on spiritual gifts. And basically, the Corinthians were using their spiritual gifts in the same way Um, they had been celebrating the Lord's Supper. They were boasting. Um, They thought some gifts were better than others. They were um, lifting themselves up at the expense of others. And what Paul has been trying to get across to us over these last couple chapters that we've been in is that that's no way for a church to act. That's no way for a church to behave. And do you remember the illustration he used in chapter 12? A couple of Sundays ago we talked about this. He said the church is what? It's the body, right? The church is the body of Christ. And there's no one part of the body that can say, I'm unimportant, right? There's no one part of the body of Christ, no one gift in the body of Christ that can say, I'm unimportant. And in the same way, there's um, the body or parts of the body can't say to others, we don't need you. And so that was an important thing. Paul said, you know, we're the body of Christ. And so our spiritual gifts must work together. We need all of these gifts and all of these members to effectively be the body of Christ, to share the gospel. And so then last week we talked about, okay, the church is the body, that's how we operate. What is our motivation, right? What is the motivation? For the Corinthians, um, we could speculate about their motivations, but Paul was pretty sure that they were not motivated by love. So we looked at Corinthians 13 last week. 
Um, and for a little while, we thought maybe we were at a, a, a wedding because we read it. And we're like, oh, this is a wedding text. But it's not. It's a spiritual gifts text. It's a text about how we interact as the body of Christ. It's a text about doing things in love and being motivated by love. And one of the key takeaways was if you're not motivated by love, then the work you're doing is nothing. It's nothing. It might be the right work, but if it's not motivated by love, if it's motivated by personal gain or, um, or ego or all sorts of other things, if it's not motivated by love, then it's not anything. And so with that groundwork cleared, right, um, the body of Christ motivated by love, Paul turns now to this specific problem in the Corinthian church, is how they were using their spiritual gifts. And the big two that were sort of, um, if not at odds with each other, that Paul is sort of using to, to compare and contrast is prophecy and tongues. The spiritual gift of prophecy and the spiritual gift of tongues. I think it would be helpful probably for all of us um, to just define these terms before we proceed. And so um, if you're looking at your outline, you can, you can sort of fill in some blanks if you want to. Um, but a couple of things. Um, so first, prophecy. Um, and the way you can think about prophecy, you know we hear prophecy and we're like, oh, predicting the future, right? Like, I prophesize that the world will end on this day. Well, that's not what the Bible has in mind when it talks about prophecy or when you talk about the prophets in the Old Testament. Yeah, some of the things they talk about might be future events. It's certainly in veiled language and it's not always easy to, to understand. Um, so that could be part of it. But usually when the prophets speak in the Bible, they're speaking a word to God's people. They're speaking a word to Israel in the Old Testament. They're speaking a, a word to the church. And it's usually not like, um, oh, you're so great. That's not usually the word they have, right? It's usually repent of some sort. Or um, this is, you know, God's judgment is coming. Um, it's, it's often that type of word. And so when we talk about prophecy, that's the sort of thing we're talking about. And interestingly, if even within this chapter, Paul broadens the definition. So if you look at verse 6, um, Paul says, if, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some, and this is sort of, I think, how he would define prophecy, some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. So it seems to me that, that these are synonyms for Paul. These are this is all in the same category, this idea of prophecy. And so prophecy, you could say, is a revelation of knowledge or prophecy or teaching to the church. It's a word to the church, and it's inspired by God, and it's usually convicting, challenging. Sometimes it's encouraging, right? John, at the beginning of Revelation, had um, some encouraging words for the churches and also some hard words for the churches. Um, but it's a word to the church, um, revelation, knowledge, prophecy, teaching, a word to the church inspired by God. So when Paul's talking about prophecy, and he's saying earnestly desire spiritual gifts and especially prophecy that's the sort of thing he's talking about now um that was a lot to put in your outline so good luck good luck with that um but um a prophecy revelation or knowledge um, a word of the church inspired by god the second definition that we need to just get on the table really quick as we get going is tongues what are tongues and i think probably the easiest way um, to define that, would say that tongues are a prayer language 
A prayer uttered in the language of the Spirit. Tongues are prayers uttered in the language of the Spirit. And it's intelligible to God alone unless interpretation is given. Tongues are prayers ordered, prayers uttered in the language of the Spirit, and these are intelligible to God alone unless interpretation is given. Interestingly enough, um, often when you talk about tongues and um, in the context of worship, you'll say, um, you know, people will say, well, if somebody speaks in tongues, there needs to be somebody else to interpret it. But that's, when you read closely chapter 14, Paul does not envision a scenario where um, I would speak in tongues and then Carrie Hall would stand up and say, oh, this is what he just said. Um, that's, that's not what, what Paul's envisioning. What Paul is saying is speaking in tongues in a public way, you should be able to interpret it. The, the, the Spirit would give you also the gift of knowing and being able to share what you were saying and what you were praying to the congregation. It's not necessarily envisioned as this, I guess it could be, but as this back and forth between two people where one's speaking and the other is interpreting. Um, it's often what I think Paul would say if you look closely at chapter 14 is that this is coming from one person. That the Lord might give them the gift of tongues, but in a public setting, he would also give them the gift of knowing what they have just prayed in the Spirit. But we'll get back to that. So, prophecy and tongues. These were the problem in the Corinthian church. And it was basically this. Um, the Corinthians were very proud. Very proud of their ability to speak in tongues. And if you could not, you were somehow considered less. Less of a Christian. And that you needed to, to work harder or have more faith or, or something for this, um, to, to achieve this ability to speak in tongues. And it's pretty consistent with how they've been acting in all sorts of other areas of their life together, right? There's this idea that, um, that, that some of them would be puffing themselves up, is a term that Paul uses, puffing themselves up at the expense of others. And so it was with these spiritual gifts. They were using them to puff up themselves as individuals. They were signs of exemplary faithfulness. They thought tongues were the most significant. And it led to this incredible disorder in worship. I mean, you can imagine if everybody is striving to speak in tongues, and speaking in tongues was important not just between you and the Lord, but important that you establish yourself and your status as a follower of Jesus. Well, wouldn't you speak in tongues pretty loudly, right? And then wouldn't the person sitting next to you also speak in tongues pretty loudly? And then at the end of the day, everybody's speaking in tongues that nobody understands very loudly. It would be chaotic. Significant disorder in worship and these individualistic displays of spiritual gifts. And I guess that's the other um, real problem, right? This is all about the individual. And if we've learned anything in going through Corinthians, that Paul is going to say, the individual has this calling, right, to give up for the sake of the church, for the sake of the body of Christ. Um, and this would be one more example of how the Corinthians have... have um, individualized things so much that it's caused great disorder in their worship. So, um, why don't we dive in now to see what Paul has to say about this. And the first 12 verses, verses 1 to 12, Paul really is going to encourage them, he's reflecting back on chapter 13, to pursue love. Desire prophecy, but pursue love. Um, when I used to teach the Alpha course, there was this one talk, and it was on the spiritual gifts, and Nicky Gumbel was, was really good. He talked about 
Um, we're not called to pursue spiritual gifts. God gives us spiritual gifts, but we're called to pursue God. We're called to pursue Jesus, and God will give the gifts. And he's got this great analogy. He talks about the first time he met his wife, right? And he said, I met my wife, and when I met her, um, my stomach was nervous, and I had fluttering in my heart, and I had this really great feeling. And we, we went on a date, and we went our separate ways, and I really wanted that feeling again. And I had two choices. One choice would be I could go to the library and pull out a book about how to get flutterings in my heart and a nervous tummy and to have a good feeling and try to get that and earn that. Or I could just call her, and we could go out again, and I could be with her, and she would, in the presence of her, I would have these things again. And it's kind of like that with spiritual gifts, right? Um, we can pursue prophecy, we can pursue evangelism, we can pursue tongues. But Paul's saying pursue love. And pursue the giver of love. And he'll give us good gifts. And we can say, Lord, I really would like this gift of prophecy, but, but draw me closer to you and give me the gifts you have for me. Pursuing love and pursuing Lord and not pursuing um, the certain gifts, and especially in a context that would um, puff us up. Paul is saying that's, that's not how it's done. You pursue love, desire prophecy. And so the first thing um, that we need to remember then is that spiritual gifts must be rooted in love. Look at verse um, 1. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so it's just very clear right there that actions, um, like we talked about last week, actions that are not motivated by love amount to nothing. And so if we're pursuing the gifts at the expense of love, um, then we've got the wrong motivations. Paul is saying, remember the Lord, remember that God is love, and pursue that. And how do we pursue that? Well, we remember what Jesus did for us, right? He died for us. He gave his life that we might have life. He gave his life that we might be united to God. He gave his life that all the evil and sin and injustice that we witness all the time in this world would be defeated once and for all. That's what love looks like. It's this self-giving for the sake of others. And the love of Jesus was a self-giving that saved us, but it also is, is, is through the Holy Spirit something that we're called to, to share with others, this self-giving, self-sacrificial love. So spiritual gifts must be rooted in that love. Then the second thing that Paul really wants to get across is desire gifts that build up the church. Now, really, all spiritual gifts serve the function of building up the church, but, but Paul really wants to drive this point home, that we are to desire gifts that build up the church. Um, verse 2, One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So, He's using prophecy in tongues, but it could be any gifts, any gifts that we have, any gifts we desire. Paul is saying, desire them for the sake of building up the church. 
God has given these gifts that we might build up one another, that we might be what? The body of Christ together. And in so doing, we will bear witness to the world around us. But if we want to um, prophesy, even to prophesy or speak in tongues or any number of things, if we want the gift of leadership or encouragement, if we, if we want these gifts that, that we might rise up, that we might level up as Christians, then we're missing the point. The point of the gifts is to build each other up, to build up the church. And as soon as we'll see, build up the church for the sake of those um, that we would meet that don't know the Lord Jesus. So Paul's calling us to desire gifts that build up the church. And then just um, congruent with that, pursuing love means using our gifts to serve and build up others, right? So God gives us gifts to build up the church. And then if we take the paradigm of the cross that we would use our gifts not for ourselves or for our sake, but for the sake of others, for the sake of the world, for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. There's this very um, clear understanding that God has given us these gifts that others might come to know him, that others might walk through that door, those that you might meet in your um, workplace or in your schools, right? Schools starting up in like two weeks. What if we were all committed as um, parents and kids and teachers and administrators to using the gifts, using the gifts God has given us in our schools to build others up for the sake of the gospel? That's the message Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthians. So we pursue love, but we desire prophecy. We desire gifts that would build up the church. That doesn't mean there's not a role for speaking in tongues. Paul doesn't want to dismiss this. He acknowledges this is a, a gift from God. This, there's, something, um, there's something to this. Something is, is happening. Um, and so what is the role of tongues? Well, let's look closely at verses um, 12 to 19, or 13 to 19. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. That's what I was talking about earlier, that the one who's speaking in the tongue should also pray for the power to interpret it to the church if needed. Um, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So, Paul encourages the use of tongues, right? Um, he desires it for the Corinthians. He's saying this isn't a bad thing. But when he encourages the use of tongues, he encourages the use of um, he encourages prayer in both spirit and in mind, right? Did you catch that? He said, I encourage you to pray in spirit and in mind. Well, what practically, what does it look like to pray in the spirit? Well, um, I know people who have this gift of praying in tongues. And they'll be praying for somebody, and, and in the right context, they might ask that person and say, do you mind if I use my prayer language, if I pray in tongues? And if the person they're praying for is like, yeah, I totally mind, that's kind of weird, um, they'll be like, okay, no worries. Um, but if, if 
if they don't mind, then, then sometimes people will pray in tongues, or if they're praying by themselves, they'll, they'll pray in tongues, and they'll, um, they'll utter a language that they don't necessarily understand. But a little bit of this comes from Romans chapter 8. Because in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the Spirit of God longing and, and groaning without words, without understanding for God's revelation, for the coming of God. And so there's this idea that sometimes we don't know what words to pray. Have you ever been there? Where you just did not know what words to pray. And for some people, God has given a gift to, to make sounds, to a spiritual language, to pray um, audibly in words that you don't understand, but that God knows. And it's a great gift, and it's a beautiful gift. And it's a, a one between you and the Lord. And what Paul is saying is, um, if you get up in front of the church and pray in tongues, you know, this is a corporate setting. This is a congregation. And the expectation is that everybody in this room would be able to say, Amen, which means, so be it. I agree with your prayer. But if you don't know what somebody prayed, you can't say Amen, right? You're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm praying that or not. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, but tongues are a gift, and it's actually a beautiful gift. If there's something I'd like to talk more about after the service, I'm happy to, or we can meet and talk about that. Um, you just let me know. But, but I will just say that, you know, going along with what Paul is saying here, there is a, a spiritual gift of praying in the Spirit and praying in tongues that, that some people have, and it can be a beautiful thing. But it's, it's a gift to them, between them and the Lord, and they would use it to pray, which would build up the church. But using it publicly and using it loudly is something that actually is more confusing. And so what Paul is saying is, yes, by all means pray in the Spirit, but pray in your mind, right? Pray words that you know and understand that others can hear and can agree with. And then what Paul goes on to say, like he's done so many times, he's like, you know, it's so great that you can speak in tongues and I can speak, what does he say, like in better tongues or um, more <laughs> tongues, right? I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, right? Like you think you're great, but... but I've got the best tongues. I don't, I don't know how you measure that. But Paul is very clearly saying, like, y'all are great. I've got this gift, too. But I don't flaunt it, right? I don't walk in here speaking in tongues. I'd rather speak, what, 10,000 words from my mind if it builds up the church than five words in tongues before others. And that's an important thing to remember, so Paul is willing to give up this gift for the sake of others. Now, does that sound familiar at this point in Corinthians, right? He's willing to give up eating food sacrificed to idols. He's willing to give up this great feast when they come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper for the sake of those who don't have anything. Time and time again, Paul is going to encourage the Corinthians to give up, give up, give up for the sake of others. And starting next week, we're going to into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to see the beauty of that because it is incredible, this... Um, cosmic global resurrection picture Paul brings us to in chapter 15. But this theme of giving up for others is time and time again present in Paul, and we see it here again. He's willing to give up this gift for the sake of others. Not that he doesn't use it himself, but, but in a setting with the church, he's willing to give it up for others. Then finally, um, spiritual gifts for the sake of others. Um, there was a saying, I think it some, I think it's still around, but it was really popular several years ago. Um, the, the church um, is the only institution in the world that exists for the sake of those who are not yet here. 
um, was sort of how the phrase goes. The only institution in the world that exists for the sake of those who are not members. Um, and you get a little bit of that vibe in this last um, section from Paul, that the spiritual gifts, the gifts we've been given, um, we've been given them for the sake not only to build up the church, but given, we've been given them for the sake of um, for those who are not here, for those who might come one day, for those who we meet on the street or in our community. That's part of the reason or one of the main reasons we've got these gifts in the first place. So look at verses 20 to 25. Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you people are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face he will worship God and will declare God is really among you. Um, so Paul looks to this verse in Isaiah, and it's actually it's a little complicated because he says one thing, and then it sounds like he says something else. So I'll try to clear that up really quick. But the focus, I think, needs to be on the last part of this section. Um, <clears throat> Paul takes this verse. He says, By people of a strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So in verse 22, Paul says, Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign for unbelievers, but not for believers. So he says, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. And we're like, well, you just told us tongues were not, like, not to be spoken for the sake of unbelievers. But what he's saying by referencing that verse in Isaiah, and if you go and you look at it, um, what, what the Lord is doing in Isaiah is he's saying, I'm gonna, I, I will speak in tongues and these people in languages they don't understand and they will not hear me. And that is actually, that's convicting. That's a sign that Israel, that the people of God are not listening and are not understanding the Lord. And so when it says that tongues are a sign for unbelievers, it means that tongues are a sign that, that demonstrate their unbelief, that demonstrate that they don't know the Lord. That's what it means that it's a sign. And so if indeed we're speaking in tongues, right, and somebody walks in that doesn't know the Lord, they will. They will think we're out of our minds, and they will not understand that. And I am pretty sure they will turn around and leave very quickly. Um, it's a sign that they do not understand. It does not mean it's a sign that we should use to go around convicting unbelievers. He's just saying the reality is that that's significant. It means that they, they're not understanding of the people of God and of the word of the um, what God is trying to say, and and likewise, prophecy is a similar sort of sign for believers, right? So, if I have a if God has a word to Israel for Israel to hear, it's usually repent, it's usually return to the Lord, it's usually um, you're not taking care of the poor among you, right? That's often God's message to Israel, or you're worshiping idols, or um, you're not following the law. These are, these are words of God to God's people that convicts them. 
that shows them how they're not part of the people of God. And so that's, a, that's what he's getting at. I don't, anyway, hopefully the Corinthians understood it better than we would do on our first reading. But um, in that context, it's the sign of, of conviction. But what he goes on to say, and I think what's important for us today, is that if the whole church comes together and speaks in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? We don't want to act in such a way that completely turns away those who don't know the Lord. Even if it's a spiritual gift, and even if it might be a, um, a good thing, there's a certain context for that that will drive others away. And what Paul is saying is, how can we use our gifts to welcome others in? And so he says, tongues is something between us and the Lord, for the church, for, for an individual. And, and maybe there's a tongue that gets spoken and is interpreted, but for the most part, um, that's an individual thing between you and the Lord to pray. But prophecy, Paul is saying, if somebody comes in here and hears a word of prophecy, they might fall down on their face and believe in God and worship Him. And so what Paul really wants to drive home is that spiritual gifts are a witness to the love and the truth of God. And we should seek them and use them in a context that bears witness to the love and truth of God. And that when um, our spiritual gifts should encourage unbelievers to worship God and declare His presence. So that is the question that we can ask, sort of a diagnostic are we using gifts in such a way that would cause others to worship Jesus? Or using our gifts, whether it's any of these gifts, tongues, prophecy, um, leadership, administration, right, evangelism, are we using the gifts God has given us to cause others to worship Jesus? I think that's the important question Paul wants the Corinthians to ask themselves, and he wants us to ask ourselves. So finally, um, what are we going to take home from this section, but also section, um, this, these last three chapters? Um, what, what, are, what are we going to just bring home by way of thinking through an application and applying to our lives? Um, well, three things about worship. And the first one is this. Worship builds up the community. When we come here on Sunday, when we exercise our spiritual gifts, when we worship the Lord, when we eat donuts and drink coffee, these are all things that are, or for the building up of the community. Um, when we use the Book of Common Prayer, um, we, we do it in a way that would build up the community. It's something we can all be a part of and all participate in. Worship builds up the community. Um, the second thing, worship is orderly and spirit-filled. This can be a really hard balance for Anglicans. Um, I would say we err on the side of orderly. Um, and I think that's certainly true for us. You know, we might be spirit-filled, but um, I don't know. You have to, like, step out on a ledge, right, to really be spirit-filled. You have to put yourself out there, um, you know, during the prayers to actually verbalize a prayer. That's a hard thing. Like, I get that. Um, and it's something we can work into. I think we've, we're pretty orderly, but, um, but how do we be spirit-filled as well? How do we allow room in our worship for the Holy Spirit? I'm not here to answer that question or to give you, like, a five-step plan because um, I don't know. But perhaps, maybe, we can just pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to be incredibly spirit-filled in our worship and see what the Lord does. 
Worship is orderly and yet also spirit-filled. And then finally, worship is truth-telling. When we worship the Lord, God's truth should be clear. When I say God's truth, I mean like the truth that God is a holy and righteous God. And that we are sinners that have fallen well short of this holy and righteous God. But above all, the truth should be abundantly clear that even though we have sinned, and even though God is holy and righteous and we are far from Him, that Jesus loves us anyway. That He gave His life to bridge that gap that we might be united to God. And so when we worship, we want to tell the truth of that story over and over and over again so that it changes our hearts and it sends us out from here declaring that truth to others in our words and our deeds, how we speak to others and how we treat others and how we serve others, that that good news would be known into the world around us. And so great job, guys. We, we got through um, Paul's uh, three chapters on spiritual gifts. Next week we're going to um, turn towards to the end of the book, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and look at um, the resurrection and the hope of the world to come. Um, as we anticipate that, why don't we close today in prayer? And ask the Lord to, um, to meet us in our worship for the rest of the morning. Gracious God, we thank you that you do um, love us, that you have given us gifts, gifts to build up your church, gifts to serve others. Lord, may we do so willingly and cheerfully, and we do so for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his holy and precious name. Amen.